I ought to sing on the way here. <laughs> Do you want to know 
I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Now, this is what we went over last Sunday, but there are some things that I would like to emphasize in this. As, and I'd like to give just a quick review here. Uh, in chapter 20, uh, Paul gives his um, farewell address to those from Ephesus. And one thing I didn't bring out is the people that were traveling with Paul and who they were and why they were traveling with him. And we'll look at some of that today. Uh, Paul in his... uh, farewell address admonishes the elders that came down from Ephesus. They had passed in their, he, he was in such a, a hurry to get on to, uh, on to Jerusalem before the uh, Pentecost. And so in doing so, he went past Ephesus as they were sailing and went on to Miletus, which is about 31 miles closer to his destination. And then he called back to the elders of the church at Ephesus and had them come down to meet him there at Miletus. Now, there may have been several reasons for this. Not only was he in a hurry to get to (coughs) Jerusalem, but you think back about the troubles that he had there at Ephesus with the the silversmiths and the worshipers of Diana. And they knew who he was. And if he showed his face in Ephesus, it might not be such a good thing. 
it would stir up trouble and he felt it was better to move on to Miletus and call for them to come down to meet him. Now this was about 31 miles away so it was probably about a day's journey for them to come down and then he met with them there and gave them uh, his admonition to to the leaders there, the elders of the church there, and to the elders that were traveling with him. But he says uh, to all the elders of the churches that that he had uh, direct directly established in his journeys. And he told them to feed the flock or feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Speaking of Jesus, he says, it's your responsibility to feed those of the, of the flock that God has put in your charge, the people around you, to take care of the weak and, and provide for those that are unable to provide for themselves. Paul also gave them a warning uh, of deceivers. They called them wolves that would come in and destroy the flock and have no mercy. And he experienced this firsthand. He knew who these were. These were the unbelieving Jews, the ones who were trying to kill him. And so he said, they're not going to let up. They're not, they do not like this new gospel, this good news that is coming. And he doesn't, they didn't like them preaching to the Gentiles, didn't like them uh, telling them that they didn't have to follow, didn't have to follow the law except for certain things, to avoid, avoid fornication, avoid things strangled, things like that. He said, yes, that's important, but, and, and not only that, but he had come from Jerusalem with letters from the church there and from the, the church in Jerusalem. So not only was he coming there, but there were those that, had, that were in power because of their position in, in Judaism. And they didn't want to lose that. Uh, but he says, uh, giving and helping others. He's, and he quoted Jesus, where, he's, where Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So that and his telling them that they wouldn't see his face again. They weren't going to see him anymore after he left here. And so with these admonitions, Paul uh, got aboard the boat. I, you know, the, I was studying kind of about these boats, and it's interesting that most of these boats for sale had a, a square-rigged sail. And it is very difficult to maneuver some of these, especially a bigger boat that carries large number of passengers or, or freight, that maneuvering 
amongst these little islands and places where the the sea was uh, shallow. And that occurs quite often in the Aegean Sea, where where they're uh, where they're traveling. So uh, he we're going to look at some of the uh, people that were traveling with Paul, and that's in chapter 20 also, back in verse 4. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timotheus of Asia. Now, Timothy here is the Timothy we know. Now, it says he is of Asia, but he had been traveling with Paul before this, and was his his mother was Jewish, and his father was uh, was Greek, and so he's one of those traveling there, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia, so. These people were traveling with Paul for a specific reason, and we'll, we're going to look into that reason here before we go on into chapter 20, or into chapter 21. Um, they, were, they were traveling with him because they were delegates from the churches of Asia, and they were people that were sent with Paul because they were delivering gifts, monetary gifts, to the church in Jerusalem. Now you recall Jerusalem had had a famine there, and people there were in dire straits in the in the church at Jerusalem. And these Gentiles throughout Asia here had taken up offering for the church at Jerusalem. And these delegates from the churches were going with Paul to deliver that those gifts to the church at Jerusalem. This was their purpose in being with Paul. And not only that, but they got to hear the Apostle Paul as he was preaching and, and to reinforce their... Uh, their understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they they only had the God, they only had the Old Testament to study from. But Paul knew knowing this Old Testament was able to tell them uh, of how these prophecies prophesied of Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. And how he was the save to be the savior. Now they looked forward to the Messiah. All of the Jews did. But they 
some of them weren't willing to accept Jesus having died on the cross, been someone that uh, was not of the Aaronic priesthood. He wasn't, you know, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, is it something that they said of Jesus? And yet, he healed the sick, raised the dead, uh, was resurrected to, God gave him life after death. And he raised from the dead. And this is, uh, what better sign could you could God give but restoring life to a dead person. And so they were following Jesus and learning about how the Old Testament had prophesied of Jesus and that this was indeed, that he was indeed the, the Christ, the chosen one of God. And so as they were traveling with him, uh, let's, I'd like us to turn to 1 Corinthians. I know you've been studying in Corinthians. In the, and uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I, I'll read uh, probably the first 11 verses here. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So he's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, I gave orders to them to, to lay by as they were able to send the, an offering to this church that had sent him out. Now the church at Jerusalem had sent him out to preach to them. And so this good news that came, and it was good news. He, car- he was carrying this letter that said, you don't have to follow the law, the Jewish law, except for these few things. And so this was a great relief to them that they were also included in the salvation of God and weren't required to follow this all this Jewish law that they really didn't understand. And so they were instructed here to to take up an offering as as they could. He said he had I had already told given order to the churches of Galatia, even so I want you to do the same. Upon the first day of the week let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. These were the delegates that were coming, and they were bringing that gift to Jerusalem. And if there if it be me that I go also, they shall go with me. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia. For I do pass through Macedonia. He said this was his travel plan. 
And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey, whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, I'm going to stay at Ephesus until Pentecost, and then I'm going to come to see you. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. These were the unbelieving Jews that he's talking of here. Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth, forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. So this is talking here in this letter to the Corinthians about Timothy and about this gift that and the the delegates from the church from each of these churches, whether it be Corinth or Ephesus or Derby or Laodicea, uh, these churches all were sending delegates to Jerusalem to bring that gift. And let's let's turn to uh, Uh, to Second Corinthians, uh, chapter eight, and we'll see another place here that this is spoken of. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> moreover, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God. This, this is a. A legal term that was used commonly. We do you to wit. That means we're calling this to your attention. The the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. We want you to notice this. He's talking to the Corinth Corinthian church, and he's talking about the people to the north of them there in Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. What that says is that though they didn't have a lot to give, they gave as much as they could. They gave liberally of what they had. For to their power I, I bear record Yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of them, willing of themselves, praying, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. That is to the saints at Jerusalem. They were urging Paul to take this gift from them to the to those that there in Jerusalem. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. 
See, they, they were thrilled to receive the gospel and asked if they couldn't have a part in taking the, the relief to the church there at Jerusalem. Insomuch that we desired Timotheus that he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. He says, he's there to help you with what you're doing. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. And to prove the sincerity of your love, he says, this is your opportunity to show how much you love the Lord and, and the church that sent me out here to tell you about the gospel. It yeah. Really, and it really wasn't about the, the money or the, the gifts that they sent them. It was, it was more about their love, love for one another. Absolutely. And uh, them seeing that they had a need and to help provide for them because they had provided an opportunity for the Lord to, you know, to be to be shared with them and for the for the assembly there. I, I think it's very it's a, it's a demonstration of, of love, not only in word but in deed there. But know. it's in Christ, uh-huh. and it's because of Christ and His love for them, and how they were sharing this with the church there at Jerusalem. Because God loved the church at Jerusalem, too. I think in many cases we have something left to learn from this. I think we do. Is that, you know, uh, oftentimes the cruelty of, of the present world is, is that we kind of become numb to the, to the needs of others. And, yes. And, of course, we know, according to Scripture, that love waxes cold, you know, towards towards the end of, end of this present age. So seeing, seeing those needs and, and administering to them in love love that we have in Christ. Yes, and especially when we see people are far away. Yes. And, uh, you know, I said, well, how does that relate to me? It absolutely But it does. The love of God isn't bound by physical barriers. And oftentimes we fail to pray even for people. You know, we think about those people in the Ukraine who are still suffering and, and continue to be oppressed by Russia. Uh, this exercise that Putin put on, you know, and all the lives that were lost and the homes that were destroyed. Yeah, but this is only one example. We see it yeah. in, in the news all the time, one, one thing or another. And we need to learn that God wants us to live at peace with all men as as much as lieth within within us and help people at the, to the best we can so in verse 9 it says for for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that through though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich Jesus left his father's throne in heaven 
and came down to earth to live as a common man and to pay the price of sin for all of us. And that, that's that we might be rich through Jesus Christ. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. So he's, they had spoken of this, in the Corinthian church had spoken of this before. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that is, there was a readiness of will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. He says, you said you wanted to do this a year ago. Now I want you to, to do it. I want, to, I want it to be a demonstration, not just a willingness, but a demonstration. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. You know, sometimes we get to looking at our lives and say, boy, I'd sure like to have things different in my life. I'd like to have this, and I'd like to have that. I'd, you know, things that would be a comfort. But that's not what God says. He says, be thankful for what you have, not complaining about what you don't have. You know, and that's totally against human nature. Human nature says, oh, I, I want this and I want that and I want something else. But he says, if there's a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath. He, God has given you a lot of things, whatever they might be, whether it be good looks or or the ability to play a piano or sing or or preach or whatever God has given you. God gave you that to use for his honor and glory. And it's not according to what you don't have, it's according to what you do have. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. This equality is something that Jesus provided for when he broke down that middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles. He, he made them equal in God's sight not uh, different, not one above the other, but made an equality there. And this is something that many people don't realize, is that Jesus made an equal playing field for all people in the world to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, not all received him, but all had the opportunity equally. As it is written, he that hath gathered much hath nothing over, and he that hath gathered little had no lack. You know where that's from? It's when the children of Israel were out in the desert and God provided manna 
that fell during the night and they just went out and gathered it off of the ground. And if you gathered a lot, you didn't have anything extra. And if you gathered a little, you weren't, you didn't have a shortage. You know, it was interesting. This is what he's saying, that God gives liberally and he makes things, makes what you have enough. Even if you weren't able to gather much, it'll be enough. And that's interesting because we need to realize that this is what God has done for us. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. So Titus was providing for them also. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not that, not that only, but who also was chosen of the churches to travel with us with, with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us. In other words, he... Um, he said, we, we don't want you to blame us for encouraging you to do this and make this available to the church there in, in, this, in this gift. Uh, and we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes pro proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you or your brethren. Uh, be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show you them show you to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of your boasting on our behalf. He says, we've, we've uh, sent Titus here to be with you. He is a, a fellow worker and he's come there to encourage you in, in this gift. For as touching, this is, chapter 9 here, he says, For as, as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, or, or the, uh, the willingness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia. He says, I bragged on the church there at Corinth to the church at Macedonia. That Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. He says, now Achaia was the region where Corinth was, and, and this has pro provoked others to give liberally there in Macedonia. 
Yet I have sent the brethren, lest, your, lest our boasting of you should be in vain. In this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. So he says, I don't want to come there with these brethren from Macedonia and find you unprepared. I want you to have set aside this, this gift ahead of time so we don't have to be taking, it up, taking up an offering when we get there. Uh, verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before you and make up beforehand your bounty. Uh, where have ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness? But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having a sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he that hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. What did, what did they say about true, true religion and undefiled? Is that they give to the poor and the needy and the widows and the orphans. This is, God respects this. If we give to those who are in need. Now he that ministereth, ministereth seed to the sower doth minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. He's giving an analogy here. He says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And as Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. This, this all ties together here. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God for the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by the thanksgiving unto God. So he said there are others that are going to be giving thanks to God for your liberality. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. He speaks of 
this gift as being something that's going to be mutually beneficial to all of us. Whether Jews or Gentiles, there's an equality here that God has provided through Jesus Christ. And I believe that whether it be the church at Corinth or the church at um, Ephesus or any of the other churches, they understood this. This was something that was received uh, with joy by the Gentile world. And each of us is a beneficiary of that ourselves. And we need to learn by this admonition that Paul gives. I, I want us to look in one other place about this gift, and that is in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Now, let's start with verse 25. Uh, but now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and be brought on my way thitherward by you. At first, I be somewhat filled with your company. He says, I, I want to come and visit you on my way to Spain. Now, this was Paul's intention. He wanted to go on and visit Rome, and then on further, on into Spain, go further west into Spain and, and preach there. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. He says, first I have to come back and deliver this, the gifts that were gathered to the church there at Jerusalem. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So he's speaking of the sending of Paul to these people there in Macedonia and Achaia and and throughout the Gentile world. And he says it is their duty also to minister unto them in carnal things, that is, in material things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed unto them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Uh, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So let's let's stop there. This speaks about that blessing 
and sharing the blessing of uh, equality between people. You know, that's an interesting thing. In the church, you know, there may be people that have more gifts and that are more, that have more to give or that have uh, abilities that they can share with others and to give of what they have and g- glad to give what they have. And this is something that oftentimes isn't understood and it takes a little bit of growth in the, in the service to the Lord a little bit of, shall I say, maturity uh, so that we might become perfect in service to God. That's a, it's an exciting thing that we have this opportunity. And that's the way the Macedonians and the people throughout Asia there felt about it. It's an opportunity to share what the Jews had in service to God. And this without the impediment of the law. Now, did that make the law worthless? No. No, you still do the things that the law says to do. It's right. You don't kill people. (laughs) That's in the law. But to be a blessing to people, that's not in the law. Except when it says to love your neighbor as yourself or even better than yourself to to consider them more highly than yourself but we we have this teaching from Jesus and it's not from uh, from hardship we're asked to give of what God has given us each of us whatever it might be to use those talents that he's given us to his honor and glory. That's why we're here, to honor and glorify God. That's why God, that's why God created mankind. And sometimes it's a hard concept when we see ourselves first and say, me first, and then I'll take care of somebody else. No, that's not what God says. Use what God has given you to his honor and glory. For you it'll be a blessing to you. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he gave his life that we might have life. You know, that's a, it's a sharing of what we have with God. Even to his honor and glory, we do those things. Jesus said when you've done this unto one of these little ones, you've done it unto me. Jesus said that. And that's a hard concept for many people to understand. And I you know, it it's it's not it goes against human nature. But that's what God has called us to rise above. To rise above our own human nature and to take on the nature of, of God himself, the divine nature. What a concept. What an amazing concept. And these people here throughout the Gentile world realized that, many of them, not all of them, but many of them realized it and 
entered into that with gladness of heart. And were glad to have the opportunity to share what they had. And to, sh to share with those who had sent Paul to them, who had sent the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus and the salvation from sin to each of them. What a gift they received, a spiritual gift. But they had enough there, whereas the people who sent Paul to them were in poverty. They were hungry. They didn't have enough. They didn't have the physical things. All right. Well, I was going to go on into Acts chapter 21. And, and by the way, when we go into Acts here in chapter 21, it gets exciting. Now this is the end. This time that we're talking about here is the end of Paul's missionary journeys. His first, second, and third missionary journeys were all finished here. But when he goes back to Jerusalem, things really start hopping in his life, really get exciting. And we, we will be going into that. And so I'm, I'm not going to go into chapter 21 as I was intending to. But I think it's good that we have this review and this further understanding before we go into this exciting time in Paul's life. And I think it's best that we come to an understanding of what what he took to the churches and to to the people of Macedonia and Achaia and, and Ephesus, all all of these different places that he went, these cities. And not, you'll notice that he went to cities because this is where there were more people gathered. And he went first to the synagogue, to the Jews first, and also to the Gentiles. They, But many of the Jews would not hear. Some did, and they received the salvation of Jesus Christ. But those who did not became the enemies of, of the cross of Christ. And it seems that that is the way things are. People either receive or they do not receive, whether Jews or Gentiles. But the opportunity is given equally. And that is the blessing that we have. And we can call people in our own lives, the people that we know need this gospel, need this understanding. And it's our responsibility to show them the love of God in our lives as a demonstration. You know, what we say is good, but it's when we do what is good that they say, wait a minute, this is different. This isn't like the world gives. Jesus said, this I give, I give you blessings, not as the world gives, give I unto you, so this is a different kind of giving. And 
It's not to make one rich and another one poor, like it is in the world. You know, the Roman government had a, a payback system. If you gave, gave a, an official a gift, he had a, an obligation to you. And he had to give you a gift. It might be a, an honor, it might be a whatever. But they had a payback system. And this isn't what Jesus, what Jesus brought was not that. It was very different than that. It is a different kind of giving. And Jesus demonstrated that in his life. And he asks, asks us to demonstrate in our lives the same thing. Not an, not an easy thing for one to do. But that is what we're called on to do. I'll, I'll stop there. And I appreciate... Is there anyone who has anything to say concerning this? Because this is, this is a vital point in Christianity. That we learn this type of living. And this type of interaction with our brothers and sisters. It's not easy to do. God never said it was going to be easy. He said it was going to be worthwhile. All right, any other comments? All right, we'll stop there then. Thank you. The blood of the
Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to come together, Lord, and, and to honor and worship and glorify you. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us, Lord, in this nation to serve you freely. Lord, we also ask that you would uh, go before us and, and guide us and protect us, Lord, as we go through our week, Lord, that we would uh, seek to do what is pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings before you. I ask that you'd help us to be a blessing to others, and Lord, as you would have us to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. get started uh, I have to welcome our visitors with us and uh, Cody and I, I'm sorry I'm I will I will do my best I'm, I'm I'm not good with names I'll remember them after a couple times can you remind me of your name Brianna, Brianna and Zoe. Zoe Brianna and Zoe all right I'm, I'll get it down eventually <laughs> the older I get the harder it is to remember names yeah <laughs> so well you know some of my, I guess my brain's going before, before the rest of my body, so. <laughs> well, it's good to have you guys with us this morning, and good to see everybody here. Um, so remember our prayer request, continue to remember Sister Barbara as she recovers from being ill, and Andy, and Andy as well. Andy's having a little more trouble than Barbara. That's what she said yesterday, so she said that she was having a, a pretty difficult time and said hope she felt better by next Sunday, so. Help her fight all those. So pray, pray for her about that. Absolutely. She's needing some instruction in how to overcome this. And it's going to take specialists that can't really afford right now for her. So yeah. Pray about that. Okay. Remember this, oh, Sister Andrea. Uh, continue. Remember Addie. How's Addie doing? Um, how is this one? Tony. Um, she starts her third round of um, the oral chemo on Tuesday, but she's suffering now from some kidney issues. Um, and the, the delay in the radiologist even getting her MRI, so we don't even know. The doctor, doctors don't really know how much to prescribe because they can't get an MRI done. So, yeah, it's kind of mm. in the dark, so I, she's pretty downhearted about that, but she's, yeah. you know, um, she's hanging in there, so just pray, you know, and even the ultrasound, I think she gets an ultrasound after 11 days on Tuesday to see what's going on with the kidneys, okay. so. Okay, let's remember this. Uh, continue remember Sister uh, Tammy and her family. I know she's had a little bit of trouble with her blood sugar lately, so. Let's remember her. Uh, remember uh, Megan Mosier. Um, it's a friend of Teresa and Karen and all them. So she's got stage four melanoma cancer. So 
and was not doing well last I heard. I haven't got an update from Teresa recently, so I'll, I'll try to reach out to her and ask her how she's doing. Um, so let's remember them. Uh, Sister Judy Byers that I, I've been mentioning has colon cancer. She did have her scan. She finished her 12th treatment, I believe, two weeks ago. Um, they went back and did a scan. They said the, the treatments that she had were working so well that most of the lesions were gone. There was one lesion left. At, I think eight when they started and some had moved to her, like her liver, towards her liver. Um, but said it responded so well that they're going to go ahead and recommend instead of surgery, they're going to recommend that she do 12 more treatments and they'll pause on the sixth one and do another CT scan to see, or MRI, to see if those lesions have completely went away. Their hope is that they won't have to do surgery, but rather do these treatments and, and continue on, uh, back to, as it seems like it's in remission. So they said they'll do six more treatments and then pause. I was wondering, are they doing things to get her immune system? Yes. Sister Judy um, is very, very, they're very, very health conscious. And so they have done, they, they have a, they actually see a holistic medicine doctor and they do, um, they've done several different things uh, with her. And she, that's why she is in such good health as she is. She's a few years older than me. She's 39, 40. So she's, I mean, she's very, been always been very health conscious. Her and her husband both have. Um, and so that they remarked that because of the Lord and because of the, the medicine and the treatments they've had, that that's why they've had such a good outcome. And the, the staff where they go to the cancer treatment center, um, she said it's been really refreshing. She said it's not just your normal run of the muck, there for money kind of thing. They said it's really kind of a, a health-based spiritual approach too. So it's kind of a, she said it's been a, a, real, a real good thing for them. She said just, she's a little discouraged that she wasn't, she started to continue with the treatments because they were, they are harder on your body. I mean, Brother Wayne's went through it. I know a few others have been through those things. So it does take its toll, but she still looks really good. So uh, remember her as well as Sister Melody Casares, who's not far from them, and she has breast cancer. So they're going through treatments. I haven't heard anything else since her eye surgery, but said that she's doing as good as can be expected. So um, <clears throat> remember, um, I don't. I may have mentioned this to a few of you, but Chris and Julie Budd are from where Melody and and uh, Angel Casares are there in Lancaster, California. They're going to be visiting us the end of August. So they take, they're taking a trip through here, so they may stop through. So as I get more details, we may do like a, a dinner or maybe even have, if it's midweek, we may have a, ser a special service. Um, I've known Brother Chris and Sister, uh, sister uh, Julie for a while, so um, remember them. Their daughter... And son-in-law came through and visited us last October, Elias and Katrina Wilterding from Alaska. Tony knows them well. Yeah, they come through on a Wednesday night. and So that's their, his in-laws. So remember them. They'll come, and I'll keep you guys updated as I get more details. Um, continue to remember uh, New Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church, where Brother Jared and Sister Elizabeth are. Um, I did talk to Brother Jared this week, and they are going through counseling. So she's... She's trying, I think she's opened up to, to doing that. So just continue to remember, remember both of them and the church there. Um, continue to remember Sherry. Um, she mourns the loss of her brother. Um, Joe's got an upcoming procedure on August the 15th and has a doctor's appointment before then. 
the first couple days of the month, so remember him. Um, remember Kathy and Fred, I did hear from them this morning. They're staying home with their daughter and son-in-law. So they've got a few things that they really needed to be there for them today. So remember them. Uh, remember Ruthie Beeman. She's not doing well. She's got having some issues. I think that she might have shingles. So I think that's what Jean and I were talking about earlier. Uh, Grandma June, she's still at home and she's recovering from her accident. So remember her. I mentioned last week Brody Hinkle, who has cancer. He's I think he's ten or eleven. So remember his family. Uh, it's a his grandmother is one of my friends from uh, AMT. So uh, she lives. They live in Wyoming. So. Um, one of my employees, April Morris, she has skin cancer, so remember her. Um, she's only been with us for a couple months, and she, I asked her, I said, would you mind adding you to a prayer list? She said, absolutely not. The more prayers, the better. So um, remember Heather Martin, Dennis's niece. They lost a baby a couple weeks ago, was it? So uh, remember their family. Uh, remember Donna and Jubilee as they, they're, tra- they're gone this week in Oklahoma. And Brother Daryl Ellis um, is the pastor there at the Nonami Church there in Hawaii. And I got a notice this week that he's stepping down as our pastor. He's been there for eight years. And been there for 15, pastor for eight, but they're moving to Arkansas. So uh, he asked for prayers for the church and for them as they move, that the, the church will call a new pastor. So remember them. Remember Brother Dan Atkins. He was having some health issues this week one from Sacramento there. Brother Ed knows Brother Dan uh, for his health and for the health of his wife. Continue to remember our nations, our military, our leaders, the Ukraine and Russia conflict, our church for continued spiritual growth, and of course our sister churches, and especially those churches that don't have a pastor that are struggling. So remember remember all these. A lot, lot to remember this morning. Um, but... Uh, Brother Tony, would you lead us a word of prayer, please, for us? All right, if you will turn with me to the book of uh, Psalms this morning. We're in the 51st Psalm, starting out. <clears throat> look at, we're going to look at today a, a little bit about repentance and, and confession. So, uh, Psalm 51, we'll read a few short verses there. It's not a long psalm, but we'll just cover the first 15 verses. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. 
Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth of the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that, my, uh, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Here we have a prayer of repentance from David, who was the psalmist here in his writing. And in just a few moments, we'll look over at the account in Second Samuel of what transpired to bring forth this prayer. But David had fallen short of the Lord's will. And at the time in which he had recognized his sin, he desired to be cleansed of that and have change in his heart. But he recognized that the only way he could change his heart was through submitting to God. He had known that he had been disobedient and he had transgressed the ways of the God that he had committed to serving. And he recognized the only way that he could be renewed was that he seek repentance through the Lord. Let's look over in 2 Samuel chapter 11 at this account. This is where we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we'll turn. We'll read there at the beginning of chapter 11, the first five verses. And if the reading reads a little different, I'm reading out of the New King James Version this morning. So, first one of chapter 11. It says, It has happened in the spring of the year that at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab his servant with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. We'll skip down a few verses to verse 14. It says, In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to the hand of Uriah, and he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in front of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city and he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew the valiant men were. 
Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So here we have in the account that David had an inappropriate relationship with Bathsheba. And of course, it was accounted that she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Of course, we know according to Scripture that this was not a relationship that should have been had especially by the king of Israel, who upon all eyes were placed that he was the servant of the God Most High. So he knew that what he had done was wrong, but yet he said, what? He said, I'm going to send this guy out to battle and I'm going to withdraw the troops, have him draw the troops from him. And guess what? What he happened? So not only did he have an inappropriate relationship with another man's wife, but he also killed her husband who had no guilt on his, on his hands. That's why. What did Bathsheba have? She obeyed the order of the king, sent for her, and she came. We all have seen movies and things where these things occur. We've read accounts in history where things like this have happened, just as this account happened in history. You didn't want to displease the king. But in this particular instance, David did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. And as a result, what happened? Read down there further. Chapter 11, we'll go to verses 25, uh, starting verse 25, and it says, Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So he encouraged him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah and her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So the deed was done. He had had an inappropriate relationship. He had killed her husband. And now, while being with child after she had mourned, he called her to be his wife. And the Lord did not find that pleasing. What do you think? Because this was something that the law had already attested to regarding the appropriate relations that the man and wife were supposed to have. But that's not the focus of, of what we're looking at here. The focus is, is that at the end of this, God was displeased. And subsequently, there in chapter 12, Starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said, uh, sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children, and it ate his own food and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter unto him, and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for a wayfaring man who had come to him. And he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and, and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man of whom has done this shall surely die, and shall he restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are a man 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anoint you king over Israel, and I deliver you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord and to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you in your own house, and I will take your wife before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, and for you did secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sins, and you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. And then Nathan departed his house. And we'll stop there. So Nathan the prophet was one in whom... What? And whom declared the displeasure of the Lord for David's disobedience and also declared his judgment, the judgment of God there against David for such an act. So not only would David lose his own child, his house would be divided with conflict. Of course, we're going to read, you read there, I won't, I won't read it for you today. But I encourage you to look at it yourself. But it would divide his household in adversity. Of course, we have uh, Tamar and Amnon who have a relationship. And then Absalom avenges Tamar by killing Amnon. And then goes on and David forgive, he flees and David forgives him. And then what causes insurrection in Israel and divides the kingdom. And sends David fleeing for his life. You say, well, that wasn't fair to David. At what cost was it? The Lord told him it would happen. And David knew what he had to do. And what was about to happen. So how often is it that we as servants of the Lord ruin our ambassadorship like David did here? It doesn't have to be idolatry doesn't have to be killing another man's another uh, another woman's husband but seriously consider what it is that we do that ruins our our ambassadorship for the Lord could it be how we treat our spouse how we treat one another how we act towards people that we encounter out in the world each day whether we treat them with contempt or with kindness Because we are supposed to be servants of the Most High God and He he requests of us what? But total obedience. David took his life into his own hands and decided to make some irreprehensible choices, didn't he? And what he did not only affected himself, but it affected the entire kingdom as well and his household. And it gave his enemies an opportunity to blaspheme God. 
And the Lord reminded him of it too. Had David chosen not to lay with Bathsheba, then the outcome would have been quite totally different. And the nation wouldn't have experienced the bit of turmoil that it did, as with the rebellion of Absalom and the division in his household. But here later on, we see as David with David's child, we'll see just what his what it caused him to do. Let's read down there further. Verse 15, it says, Then Nathan departed his house, and the Lord struck the child of Uriah, Uriah's wife that bore to David and became ill. David therefore pleaded with the Lord for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay in, in the night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him and to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat with uh, food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we then tell him that his child is dead? And he may, not, he may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then the servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that the child may live? But now he is dead, and why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So then David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her, and so she bore a son, and they called his name Solomon. And now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah, because of the Lord. Solomon's name was not, I mean, by all accounts, Solomon had the name Solomon, but his name was Jedidiah, and that name meant beloved of Yahweh. So beloved of God. So why do you think that this, this whole account here transpired, yet God blesses him with another child, and he can say the same thing, beloved of God. We know by all accounts in the scripture that David was a servant, was a man after God's own heart. And how could he how could he be esteemed in such a position having done what he's done? It's because he acknowledged and repented of what he had done there. He wept before the Lord and cried out for his child, whom took the penalty of his sin. Not that David would escape it, like we've, we've understood here in the account that, that reads in chapter 13 and on. But David confessed his sin before God in the presence of Nathan and in his fasting and weeping there. So what is it that happens when we acknowledge our sin? 
The Lord asks for us to confess our sins. I mean, according to the example we have here, confess our sins, that we things that we do that are contrary to God's work, and then repent of them. What does repent mean? Repent means to turn around, to change your ways. Just as the psalm was over in the 51st psalm there that we read just a few moments ago, David asked, create in me a clean heart. He was begging the Lord to change his heart so that he could be cleansed and acceptable before God without blemish. That's the beauty of serving the Lord. When we do sin and recognize that we have fallen short of the glory of God, that we can go to him and approach his throne and ask for forgiveness. But the intent is for us not to perpetuate the cycle endlessly but for us to acknowledge when we fall short and move forward from that, asking the Lord to change our hearts and cleanse our minds from all unrighteousness. That should be our mindset. So that when we give our enemies an opportunity or we displease God, that we seek to set things back aright, renew our mind. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember that you, once the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were with, without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once were afar off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made for both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished the flesh, the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore I putting to death the enmity. We have in Christ the opportunity to be cleansed from our unrighteousness. He's talking here both the Gentile and Jews. And he says, having been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ you were once far off, have been made near by the blood of Christ. Does that give us the opportunity to just continue to live our lives as though we would do before we came into Christ? Absolutely not. May it never be. But the importance of this acknowledgement here is that we have hope in Christ that we have a better and living way through whose sacrifice of Christ's blood we have an opportunity for peace in our lives but as we see in other epistles there not to continue to live out our lives and perpetuate the broken cycle that we did in the flesh before we come to serve the Lord this is the importance of of what repentance truly is. Acknowledging that our past is nothing more than that, our past, and that we have hope in Christ. 
Let's look at Luke 19. Luke 19, we'll read the first 19 verses. Very familiar passage of Scripture. We all know the little kid's song about Zacchaeus. Starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up on a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. So the Jews did not like tax collectors. They were considered an abomination because God was the money, you know, was their God as a tax collector. They felt like they'd sold their soul to be a Roman pet, <laughs> to collect taxes. So those that were tax collectors were shunned by the Jewish populace because they said that was contrary to serving the Lord. But here you see Christ addressing Zacchaeus unlike any of the rest of the Jews and saying, come on down, we, we need, we're going to your house, I'm going there today. So then he goes on, he says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I have gave half of my goods to the poor, and if they have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore for fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. And for a son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What do you think the importance of that lesson was? Zacchaeus goes, he realized the Lord was coming to be with him. He's like, Lord, I, you know, if I've taken anything of anybody in, improperly or by false accusation, he says, I'm going to give up my stuff. And he says, I'll give these people at least fourfold. I'll restore what I've taken from them. He acknowledged his sin before God. In the presence of the Son of God. And instead of Jesus chiding and deriding him for, for what he had done, he says, today salvation has come to this house. Why? Zacchaeus held nothing back. But he told the Lord, I've, I've fallen short. How many of us would willingly do something like that? I don't think many of us would. But nonetheless, it draws attention to what our service to the Lord should be. As we fall short, we acknowledge the things that we do improperly before God. That's what repentance is and not doing it again. Scripture doesn't tell us what happened after that, but Zacchaeus went after following the Lord, didn't he? That much is plainly indicated. And Jesus' answer to him was peaceful, wasn't it? He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not lost in the thought that 
they were out in some dark abandoned lands trying to figure out where they were, but they had known something beforehand, didn't they? They had known of God before. But yet here comes Jesus and he says, I've come to save, uh, to seek and save that which was lost. He come to restore them, right? He come to restore creation back to an acceptable point for God. And it was desire was that all men should serve the Lord and be delivered. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 10. He says, Take heed that you do not despise these little ones, for I say that to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Same statement again. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray and does not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is astray? And if he should find it assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more than sheep than one and the one than the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so it is the one, not the will of the Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you and go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, if he hears you, you have gained a brother. But if he will not take you one or more witness, and by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear it, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like a an heathen and a tax collector. Surely I say to you, what you shall bound on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I know those two accounts are not typically put together, but they're still applicable and they still do go together, as all scripture does. But he says, take heed. You do not despise one of these little ones. You think the importance of that? He said, I've, I've come to seek and restore which is lost. What was the point there? He says, one goes astray and I go after, the one goes after to seek it and leaves the 99 behind. Why? Everyone is precious, according to the Lord. Whether it be by the choice of the one that left of his own accord or by being misled by something else. Still should be our duty to seek and restore those things when we see our, our brothers and sisters fall short. Not out of judgment, not out of malice or intent, but out of kindness and love for them. Just as the Lord loved us. That salvation may come to them. Then he goes on talking about if a brother has something against one another, go to him. Secretly, go to him privately and talk to him. He says, if he'll listen, you've gained a brother, right? He won't. Take somebody else from the church. And if not, then go back to the church again. Why do you think that's important? Because everyone is precious. Someone is falling short. It's our duty to help them along, not to judge them for it. Lord does the judging. We're supposed to do the work, aren't we? We all have sins that we need to atone for. We need to repent of. 
just as the examples that were given here in the scripture of David and these and Zacchaeus and these things, what are what is it that we do with our sins? Do we acknowledge them or repent of them, or do we hold on to them? I made I made the analogy of dragging around, resurrecting a dead a dead body and dragging it around with you every time. It's not that's not what serving the Lord is. But the Lord gives us an opportunity to put it down for good and to rise up and walk in the newness of life like He did. like he allows for us to do, what he requires is that we confess our sins and we repent of them. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. I know there are a number of scriptures that we could go through. Each and every, every one of them, we'd be here all day. But these are just a few of the scriptures that are good for us to read and remember. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, But behold, excuse me, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements melt with fervent heat. Both of the earth and of the works that are which are in it will be burned up. This therefore all these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for in the hastening of the coming day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will burn with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth of which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brethren, brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written unto you. As in also in all his epistles, speaking in, uh, in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do as the rest of the scriptures. Yet therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest of those also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So, what do you think the importance of this passage is? He's, Peter's here calling attention to something very important. He says, time is going to come to a close. The Lord's not slack in coming. He says, one day is as a thousand, a thousand is one. The Lord has no concept of time like you and I do. But he's telling these brethren here to be mindful and pay attention he said, some counted as slackness, but it is long-suffering toward us. So make the most of our time. Why do you think the Lord delays this? It's because he doesn't desire any of us to fall short of this. But the warning, they're still there. The day of the Lord does come and will come to those who are deceived. 
that it will delay. He talks about what will happen when he does return. But he says there, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening and the coming day of the Lord of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and melted with fervor and heat. So the admonition here is that we be concerned with what's going on, being mindful of what the Lord expects of us in our conduct, in our lives, in ourselves and in one another. This isn't a solo project. It's a group project. If one of us falls short, it affects the other one. Don't believe me. Look at the scripture. It says it pretty plainly. And for us to all think that we have plenty of time is incorrect. Scripture seems to point that out here. But the encouragement after the danger, he says here, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Also our beloved brethren Paul, according to the wisdom given us, has written to you of all the epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some hard to understand. So, be diligent. Be aware. Most importantly, acknowledge our shortcomings before the Lord. Because time's going to run out eventually. Maybe the Lord's return, or it may be our life ending as a result of something we've done or as a result of just our health or whatever reason. So what is, what is, what is it that we're supposed to do with our service to the Lord? David acknowledged his sin before the Lord and repented of it and changed his heart, didn't he? he but he didn't do it on his own. He sought the Lord's guidance and the Lord's wisdom. He didn't look for it in other men. But he looked to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? The Lord changed his heart, didn't he? It may have been through adversity that he changed his heart, but he changed his heart nonetheless because David sought for it to be changed. So we're without excuse. We have plenty of example in the scripture of how we're, we're supposed to conduct our lives. And to be aware that we give our enemies an opportunity to blaspheme God because of our inaction or our disobedience. But rather, it's time for us to cleanse ourselves of this unrighteousness in Christ and submit to Him and that He might create in us a clean heart. Because He's the only one able to do it. We can't do it ourselves. Hope that this has been encouraging to you all.